0: Hey, you have your Bibles, please turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter number 2. We want to talk for a few moments today about redemption. As you see, we're going to experience communion again today. We did that last week. Never in the history of this church, Hope Crossings, have we done communion two services in a row, two Sundays in a row. And just earlier about Monday, actually, uh, this past week, I just was thinking, you know what? I think we need to do this again. And um, and we're going to have a time of prayer at the end of, of this uh, time period of talking to where we're going to pray for our families and we're going to encourage the, the the men and women husbands and wives fathers and mothers to let's pray for our families and uh, let's ask God for his continued blessing on our homes um, in America we understand the extravagance of Christmas we understand that there's a lot of glitz and glamour in the stores and all that stuff we, we don't need to go into that it's the reality it's it's what is really happening. But Jesus did not come uh, to this earth in order for us to have all of that. I don't think he's against it. I'm just saying He's he, that's not the purpose of why he came. He came for a purpose. God sent forth his son, born of a virgin, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. And that's the purpose why Christ came. I was thinking recently, of course, with this always on my mind, um, as to the various places and settings that Jesus could have been born. We know it was in a manger and in a stable, and whether that was a a structure or like a kind of a cave area, nobody really knows, but it could have been either, and it really doesn't matter. But it was a very humble type situation. Could have been born in a palace, could have been born in a great average middle-class family, could have been, but this is the way that God chose to bring His Son into the world I think that's remarkable. and It shows that humility is very, very important to a God who knows all, has all, and is all powerful. That we coming before him in, in a humble state is important, and he sent Christ to us in that state of humility. He could have been born anywhere, but he was born with a purpose, and that purpose was to live a sinless life. That purpose was to teach us that not only are his teaching valid, but he himself is the way. It's not a denomination or a method of theology or a method of thought, but he is the way. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. He was born in this way so that he could be both fully God and fully man at the same time, that mystery of the intermingling of those two, fully God God and fully man. In order for that to happen, he had to be born of a virgin. And that, again, is, of course, the great miracle, the great mystery. And yet, when you understand how God could create this whole universe and this whole world and create the mountains and the stars and everything that we see, everything that's beyond our knowledge and understanding and sight, when we understand that God created all of that, then the virgin birth is really just a minor thing, isn't it? It's just kind of, oh, yeah, virgin birth. I mean, he created everything. And so one more miracle, one more interjection into this world that we live in is not a big thing to try to grasp as far as believing it. He had to live the sinless life. He had to be that fully God and fully man. He had to be born of a virgin so that he could redeem us from our sins. You're in Luke chapter number 2, and we're going to start reading in verses 36 to 40. Here's where Joseph and Mary bring Jesus to the temple to dedicate him to the Lord. And, of course, then that's actually the day in which he was probably circumcised and then also received his name. Luke chapter 2, verse 36 through 40. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old, When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, and he was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. The Bible tells us there in Galatians 4, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a virgin, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Well, that word redeem is something that's not really used a lot today. I think we have a pretty basic knowledge of it. It's not complicated at all. Uh, The word is a verb. Redeem as a verb is broken down into re and deem. Re means back and deem means buy. So it's a back buy. We reverse that and we say we buy back. So that's what redeem means. It is a a bringing back into possession. As a noun, of course, it is the result of redeem or being redeemed. I guess the best illustration of this, it'll really appeal to the men, to the ladies, I'm sorry, just go with us for a moment, okay? We're going to talk about cars, okay? So you have a nice car, it's a whatever. I always like to say the first car I ever drove was a Mustang. And I've never had one since. I brought one home our second year of marriage. We had maybe $20 in the bank. It was a brand new Mustang. God it's with us, honey. We can do this. So glad I married a godly woman. She said, take that back right now. First car I ever drove, I was 10 years old, it was a, I think it was a 65 Mustang, three speed, almost went into the ditch, almost, but well, we saved it. But say you have a Mustang and say it's beautiful, say it's wonderful, it's just fabulous, it's brand new. You have it a couple of years, you baby it, you change the, the, the tires, you change the oil, you change the filters, you change everything right when it's supposed to happen. It's beautiful, it's awesome, it's amazing, and it's stolen. It's stolen by some jerk, right? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm not allowed to say jerk in church. I'm sorry. Okay. Just offended everybody. Yeah, it's stolen by somebody. And, of course, they don't care because it's not their car. It's your car. they obviously don't care about you because they stole your car. And so they abuse it. They don't change the oil. They don't change the filters. They don't change anything. They don't wash it. They don't oil. They don't, nothing. They have it a couple of years, and finally they just abandon it. And Somebody finds it and they trace it down. They go, Hey, that, that belongs to, you know, Martin Northcutt. <laughs> they call you up and say, Hey, we got your car. Say, what are you talking about? Yeah, that Mustang. You have my Mustang? Yes. Do you want it back? Yes. Well, you have to pay some fees to get it back. I got I to gotta buy my car again? This actually happened to me. It was not a Mustang. I sold the car to somebody and they never registered it. By six months later, they called me up and says, Hey, we got your car. I said, What car are you talking about? <laughs> the Jeep. I said, oh, I sold that. It's not mine. Well, do you want it back? I said, it's not mine. So, well, if you want it back, you got to pay a fee. I never knew that. You had to pay a fee to get your own car back. So you got to pay a fee to get your Mustang back. So what do you do? <laughs> you pay the fee. Then what do you have to do at that point? You're going to have to restore that car you have bought it back it is now back into your possession you have redeemed it with the money now it's back in your possession it's back in your garage you have the key but it doesn't look like what it used to look like it's beat up the upholstery's messed up the paint it's bad so now what do you do You begin the process of restoration. You begin the process of saying, okay, what am I going to tackle first? What am I going to do first? What am I going to do second? What am I going to do third? What can I afford? We're going to put some money into this thing. And your wife's going, oh, yes, hallelujah. So then you start redeeming it. You start restoring it. You have redeemed it. Now you're restoring it. That's what God does for us. He says, well, it was, it was beautiful and perfect in the Garden of Eden, but wow, somebody stole you away. You went in the wrong direction, and there was sin affected your life, and sin kept beating you up, and you don't look like, act like, think like, talk like, live like you used to in the Garden of Eden. But that's okay. I still love you. That's okay. I still want you. That's okay. I am paying the price to get you back, and the price was Jesus Christ hanging on the cross. The price was Jesus shedding his blood for the redemption of our lives because sin must be paid for. Sin must be paid for. The Bible tells us that the blood of bulls and goats could never eradicate our sin. It would put off the sin. It would keep putting off the sin and putting off the sin, but the blood of the perfect Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, is not just a putting off of our sin or a pushing off into the future, but the blood of Jesus Christ is completely capable to eradicate all of your sin, all of my sin, the sin of the entire world. Because He is the plan of God for your redemption and my redemption and the redemption of the world. And now that we are redeemed, what is Christ doing to us? He is restoring us to our former glory or our former image, He's restoring us to the original plan. How many of you know you're in the process of a restoration? You're in the process of God saying, hey, I got to work a little bit here. I'm going to have to tweak this. Now, this over here, that needs a lot of work. And this just needs a little work. You're you're pretty good in this area, but it is a total, absolute, 100% restoration. God doesn't leave anything out. And he has many ways of doing this restoration. He has people that he uses in our lives to help us to bring that restoration. Because generally when somebody's restoring a car, they don't know how to do everything, right? They know how to do a lot. But they don't know how to do everything. So what do they do? They get the engine guy, and they get the paint guy, and they get the vinyl guy, and they get the the seat cover guy, and they get all those different people. And they're interacting together to restore this thing. And God comes along, and he says, you know what, sir? I'm going to restore your life, and so you need a wife. I see a couple of mature, older men going, yep, that's what he does. That's what he does. There's some things I need to work on you, sir, so I'm going to bring you this beautiful young wife that you're going to fall in love with, and she's going to drive you crazy. (laughs) But you need some crazy because I'm restoring you. And at just about the time you get the handle on this, okay, all right, I get it, all right, we're working together, it's good. Then Then a couple of children come along, and you're like, we were doing so good. Now, these children have come along, and they're wonderful, and they're great, and they're driving me crazy. And God's saying, you need that because I'm restoring you. And if I didn't give you that wife, and I didn't give you these children, you would be so self-absorbed, nobody would be able to live with you or stand you at all. Okay, I just offended the rest of you who wasn't... (laughs) Our human nature says it's about me. Our human nature says, come on, it's all about me. It's all about me and God saying, yeah, I'm restoring you so that you can be a giver, that you can be a prayer warrior, so that you can be a mighty warrior to stand up for someone other than the big you. Because I got a plan for you. I've got a plan for you in the family, and I've got a plan for you in the church, and I've got a plan for you in the community, and I'm restoring you to that place. I have purchased you. I've bought you back. I've redeemed you. Now I'm restoring you, and so I'm putting people into your life, and that boss, I put him there. I put her there. You're like, oh. You know that neighbor, the guy down the street, the HOA president? God puts all these people into our path because he's using them to restore us to his image of what he's called us to be. And so this is a beautiful thing that God is doing. He says, I have redeemed you. The total price has been paid on the cross. Now I'm in the process of restoring you because my power is going to be working in you. But as long as you're self-absorbed or you're thinking about other things in this world other than me, my spirit can't move through you to minister to your wife, to your husband, to your children, to the neighbor, in the church, in the community. As long as we're self-absorbed, we can't do that. But if we'll allow God's spirit to work through us, then all of a sudden our purpose is being fulfilled for which Christ has put us on the earth to do. And that's the process that we're going through. And so therefore, the family is vitally important to us because the family is right there with us. We we live in and among them. You know, we can kind of shut the, the neighbor off, right? Just build a fence, right? Okay? Yeah, we just build a fence, you know? What do they say? Fences make good neighbors? I not Yeah, we can, we can put up barriers. But with the people that you live with, now that's different. It's the bad idea to build a fence in the middle of your bedroom. Say, honey, you stay on that side and I'll stay. That's not a good idea. That's not good marriage counseling. The reason why God uses the family so powerfully in our lives is because they are the ones who can reject us the strongest. You can be rejected by the guy that you don't know, and it's like, whatever, it's your problem, buddy. You can be rejected by the person that you do know, and it hurts some. But you get rejected by your family, now that is painful. Painful. God is saying, hey, I'm putting you in a position where you learn how to give even when it isn't convenient. You learn how to give even when it isn't received all that well every time. You learn how to give. You learn how to pray for people that you're pretty well ticked off at. You learn how to pray for them so that you yourself can receive forgiveness, so that you yourself can receive strength and nourishment. And so he puts us in this situation called the family, and in just a few moments, we're going to pray for your family, and I'm I'm encouraging you, of course, to pray for your family. God is doing a great work in our lives, and uh, I just I just um, I love the fact that God places us strategically together. the The intersection that you had with that that uh, wife that you are married to that wasn't by accident. That was by divine appointment. Those children that you have are not at all an accident. This is by divine appointment. The the reason that you're here right now today in Hope Crossings is not an accident. It's by divine appointment. And he's got a path and a plan and a reason for all of this, and he's doing some great things in our lives. And sometimes we don't even see it until sometime later, how God is developing in us and moving and working in our lives. Some of us that are a little older can remember back to when we were uh, first, first married and the things that really agitated us about our spouse. And now we're like, yeah, hey, what's that? Who cares, right? Because we got over that. We understood how to get over things. We understood how to be restored. Yeah, I, remember, I think it was 1978, there was a, a, a husband and wife duo called Peaches and Herb. Come on, how many of you remember? Peaches and Herb, 1978 hit song, Reunited. That's a good makeup song. Reunited because feels so good. Reunited because we understood that this love is, come on. <laughs> I thought I could lure somebody into that, but nobody bit that bait. Sometimes we do things and we don't even see the result for years later, but God is instructing us to do them now met a, met a woman here Friday night at the, after the first nativity and she came up and we were talking she had her mother with her and we were talking and she said she said I came about four years ago I've come every year for about the past four or five years I think she said and she said the first time that I was here and saw this nativity she said changed my understanding of Christmas I said you got to explain that she said you know you hear the story you know the or in a manger, and you know, you hear the story, and you, you read it, and okay. She said, the first time I came to this nativity, I saw it. She said, I've never looked at Christmas the same way ever again, never. And her mother was standing there. She says, yeah, every we come here every year, every time. As soon as this thing starts, she starts crying. She cries through the whole thing. I didn't know that story until Friday night, but it's been going on for years, how this woman's life has been radically affected by our nativity, and it's that way with the family. We do things within our family. We don't even know the, the total outcome until maybe years later, but God is instructing us to pray for our families. Um, I'm, I'm a, I am a proponent of family devotions. But the word tells us there in Deuteronomy that we're to impress God's commandments onto our children. And he says, talk about them when you walk along the way, when you lie down, when you get up. Talk about them in the morning and in the evening. It's not a matter of saying, we're going to have family devotions one hour a week. And bless God, you're going to learn about Jesus. We're not really going to talk about him the rest of the week, but we'll do it one hour a week or one hour a day or whatever. But God says, man, just talk about the Lord. You know, when you go going to the grocery store, when you're watching a movie, when you're a baseball game, win or lose, whatever you're doing, just talk, relate, interject, impress, imprint on your children's lives, and then pray for your children. And so uh, here's what we're going to do. And again, this is a, a little different, obviously, than normal. What we're going to do is I'm going to ask you to stand up if you'd stand right now and be with your children, your family. And whether you want your children to receive communion or not right now, if you believe they're Maybe you should wait a little longer until they get a little more older and mature. That's fine. Uh, they don't have to receive communion right now. They're welcome to do that. That's your call, you're the parent. That's your call. But I want to ask us to come up forward, come up front as families, and to take these elements of communion. And, and I want you to take some time and pray. So we have we have lots of room up here. I don't care if you come up here on the stage or off to the side, but let's take some, some time right now and let's pray for our families, uh, fathers, men, Husbands, I'm, I'm asking you to, to take the lead on this. You might say, oh, you don't even know how uncomfortable that is. I actually do. I actually do know how uncomfortable it is to pray for the person that you love more than anyone else in the world. It, it, it's a little intimidating. I get it. I've been there. Yes. But you know what? The, the, if you do something, you get better at it. If you do something, it gets easier. If you do something, you become more comfortable with it. Let's just step out and do it. Um, Mothers, pray for those babies. Pray for those babies. Don't care how old they are, they're still your babies. Pray for them. And uh, I know there's some children that are older and and they've kind of gone their own way. We're going to pray God brings them back. God brings them back. For those with young little babies, we're going to pray, God, bless my son. Bless him with, with wisdom and understanding and knowledge. Bless him with the fear of the Lord. You know, we got a call. Lisa and I got a call from Tyler a couple of weeks ago, and and um, I'm just I'm gonna close with this. We got a call from him, and and it, those of you who know Tyler, um, he's not outspoken. He's just kind of a laid back kind of a guy. He's total full of energy. He never stops, but he's just laid back. He's this weird oxymoron. He's laid back, but he never stops moving. And so he, God really put it on his heart to go and to be trained and to go to the abortion clinic there in Waco, Planned Parenthood, and to stand out front and pray for the people who are going in and out and to be available to counsel them or to try and help them. So God put it on his heart and, they, and he's been doing that. He, he was going to start his shift at, at the fire department at 7. He went there at 6 o'clock in the morning to the Planned Parenthood to pray along the sidewalk. But as he's praying, he also realized his back is killing him. He hurt his back, and it's every step he takes, there's pain. And so as he's praying, he said, God, I know this is a really little thing and all, but would you just please heal my back? He said, that second, the pain stopped. That second. He called me up. He was like, I've heard of that happening with other people. I never thought it happened with me. I didn't even think God was going to do it. God just completely healed him. You never know what God can do when we just are obedient. It's not not how eloquent you pray. It's just obedience. Just obedience. All right? We're going to sing this. You guys, come on up as your families, and let's receive communion together. And uh, let's take some time and pray for our families, okay?